Welcome back to The Compass, the podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue our journey through God's Word. Now, we've begun a new series about the life of David. And on today's podcast, I have the opportunity to share a message that I shared with Calvary Church on this past Sunday. I'm talking about the future king, and we'll be looking at 1 Samuel chapter 16. But before we get to that, I want to invite you to come and to worship with us. We'd love that opportunity to meet you face to face as as we sing and as we study and as we serve together. And so just reach out to us here at Calvary. You can call us at 479-442-4634 or check us out at our website, calvaryfedville.com. If you have any questions, email us at info at calvaryfedville.com. Again, we're looking at the life of David, and on today's podcast, we're going to be talking about his anointing and how that journey began for a little shepherd boy as we look at 1 Samuel chapter 16. Let's listen together because we have a chance to talk about the future king for the the children of Israel. And so we're going to be looking at 1 Samuel 15 and 16. And we're going to look at several verses there in, verse, in chapter 15 and then move over to 16 for our reading uh, today. But over the past two weeks, Pastor Kirk has been laying the foundation for us as we've started our series on the life of David. We've come to understand that the people of Israel wanted a king so that they could be like other nations. They wanted to look like others around them. They felt that that was the only way for them to be successful and respected as a nation is if they had a king. They wanted to look like them. They wanted to be like them. This wasn't the ideal, but it was what God allowed. And last week we spent time with King Saul and watched his rise and his fall. And here we're going to be talking a little bit about Saul because it's an important factor as we look at the anointing of King David. But in chapter 15, we find out more of those details. But today, we finally arrive at David. But he isn't King David just yet. He's still at home serving his family. There are many big markers in the life of David that we gravitate toward as we study his life. And this is one of those. It's a pivotal moment for the nation of Israel as Samuel anoints the next king of Israel in 1 Samuel 16, 1 through 14. But before we hop into our story, let me begin with a question. What are you looking for in your leaders? This morning, I have no desire to be political, but in a nation that allows us the opportunity to vote on our leadership, we must consider this question. If we're going to be a part of that process, we must evaluate what we're looking for in our leaders. But it doesn't just have to be our political leaders. What are we looking for in the way of of leaders in, in our homes, in our nation, at work? We seek to be some of those leaders, and we must consider the characteristics of a leader. Too often we look to the outside, and that's what the Israel did with King Saul. As Pastor Kirk referred to to him a couple of weeks ago, Saul was tall, dark, and handsome. He looked kingly in the way that Israelites saw kingly men of other nations. And while we would like to say that we are beyond physical appearances, 
we still look for people who look like leaders. We turn on the TV and we see a candidate and say, all right, he looks presidential, or he doesn't. And it's important for us to understand that, that we still look at some of those physical attributes. We see the outside. We hear their voice. And I know that when I look at candidates for president, I will often think he doesn't look presidential. He doesn't look the part of a president. This is often the way I evaluate what they believe or act uh, before I evaluate what they believe or act upon, and that is simply how we are. We look at the outside. We're quick to make judgments. We're quick to look at somebody and say, because of the way they dress, because of the way they appear, we have a certain understanding of who they are. We've done that before. If you've been visiting, maybe visiting family at another church, you've looked at their, their pastor and gone, hmm, I don't know about him, or I have an idea because of the way he dresses, what he looks like. We look to those outside things. But as we look in 1 Samuel 16, 1 through 14, we need to understand the truth that God has for us today. And one that should play a part in many areas of our life, but especially as we're looking for God's servant, the one who is to lead. Let's look at 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 through 14. There the Bible says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? Since I have rejected him from being king over Israel, fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. And Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem, and the elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? He said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. The Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all of your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, and behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for all that you do. We thank you for your word and for 
this familiar story about how you anointed King David. I just ask that you help us to see truth here, something that we need to understand and make a part of our lives. Help us to understand who we need to be as your believers here in Fayetteville and in the communities we represent. God, we want to be your people, but we can't do that without your help. So, God, please work in us. Help us to see your truths clearly. Forgive us where we fail you. In Christ and we pray. Amen. Well, the key truth that God wants us to, to embrace today is that God cares more about the heart of a man or a woman than their height or appearance. Is that a simple truth? Sure, it is. It's one that we often ignore, though. God cares much more about our hearts. He cares about our character. In fact, I'm convinced that God allowed Saul to serve as king of Israel in a large part to teach the children of Israel this very truth. If we look at back to everything that happened with Saul, how he was selected, how he was chosen, and everything that transpired up to that point, we see that God is teaching the Israelites that the heart is more important than the outside. As we navigate this truth for today, I want us to look at three characters in this story and how they point us to this simple but important truth in our lives. Let's begin with a regretful God. You may think God doesn't regret anything, and he doesn't regret in the same way that we do. It can be a confusing statement. In fact, uh, I'm constantly drawn to the, a saying that Pastor Kurt shares, has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? And as you sit with that, you think, all right, nothing surprises God. God knew what was going to happen, so how could he feel bad about what he did to bring Saul into this place, or that Saul, it was a surprise to him that Saul made the choices that he did. And that's not what we're seeing here. The word regret, when connected to our God, is a little troubling. How do we handle it? We know that God is sovereign. He knows the future. He knows the past and the present. Does he ever regret something the way that we do? Think about it this way. The holidays are coming up. I love the holidays because there's a lot of great food at the holidays. You may be the same way. There's a good chance that we will overindulge in some of those things that we only get once a year. The choice is often accompanied with regret. I regret eating that whole pie. I regret eating half a turkey. You get the idea. We make a choice that turns out to be a poor one, but that's not how God operates. It is outside of his character. He knows the end result. And we may think that we do, and that may give us pause before we go back for seconds and for thirds at the Thanksgiving table. But there's always that hope somewhere in our mind that maybe, just maybe, it's not going to affect us the same way that it did last time. God knows the end. And he puts things into motion knowing how they will culminate. So when Saul was chosen as the king, he knew what was going to happen. He knew the future. He knew, and he had put those things in place. The word regret is also used. If you turn, turn with me back into Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, we find um, another time 
when the word regret is used. And it's the same Hebrew word. Beginning in chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, the Bible says, When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attracted, attractive, and they took the, uh, as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. And the Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw the wickedness of man it was great on the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted, so the same word here, that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. The word regret is used, and it's used in connection with God in Genesis chapter 6. It's used here in chapter 15 as we look at what the way God felt about what happened. Now, does this mean that God made a bad choice? No. I see extreme sorrow in the choice and process, but it had to happen to point all men to him. 1 Samuel 15, 10 through 11, 24 through 31, 34 through 35, God regretted Saul. So let's look at those verses together, beginning in verse 10. There it says, And the word of the Lord came to Samuel, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me as not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all night. If you go on to verse 24, there the Bible says, Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return for you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord. And the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Samuel turned to go away. Saul seized the skirt of his robe and it tore. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me that I may bow before the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul and Saul bowed before the Lord. But the damage had already been done. In verse 34, then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to the house in Gibeah of Saul, and Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Those are hard things to hear. I mean, who wants that written about them for all time and eternity in God's word? But God regretted putting me in that place of leadership. But, as we look at this, we need to understand what this means. Does this mean that God made a poor choice? No. 
I see God as sorrowful for the choice he had to make to teach people the truth that we're understanding today. We talked about this in previous weeks. God gave the people what they wanted, a king. God gave them the type of king that they wanted, tall, dark, and handsome. He looked kingly. However, as we saw last week, Saul was flawed on the inside. And while he looked like a king, his heart was not that of a king. I try to think of this whole scenario as God, our Heavenly Father, might. As a parent, I had to have my children go through some hard things for them to learn some important truths. Did it cause me pain as they went through that? Yes. My heart hurt for them. In a similar way, I regretted the pain that they had to endure. I didn't see it as a mistake, but as a painful series of events that they had to go through. I feel like that's what we see here. God wanted his people to understand that he cared more about the heart of a person than what they looked like. Choosing a leader or a team member simply on how they appear is never, never the best choice. In fact, it may be absolutely the wrong choice to make. So as we see this and we understand that God was regretful in this situation, we need to see what he was pointing us to, this simple truth that God cares more about the heart than he does the outward appearance. So who else do we find in the story? Well, we find a scared servant. We find Samuel. 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 through 5, And the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king of Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I'll send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Now, as we look at Samuel here in this situation, scared might not be the right word to sum up his emotional state, but that's what he's feeling here in these moments at this time. Samuel was a faithful follower of the Lord, and his heart was devastated by the choices of Saul and the rejection of the Lord of Saul as the king. He was angry. He cried out, he grieved, and there was all sort of emotion swirling in Samuel. And who could blame him? Samuel had stood as God's man, and Saul had chosen to go another direction. That would hurt. That would hurt any of us if someone that we had invested in, someone that we had seen was God's choice, had turned a different direction. We've seen that happen. I think about... I think about a man who meant a lot to me. During my high school and college years, there was a, a contemporary Christian artist that I loved. I mean, if somebody is kind of obsessed with music, I was obsessed with this guy's music. His name is Ray Bolts. 
loved. He sang, uh, Thank You was one of his songs. There's a song that keeps ringing in my head the entire time I've been preparing called Shepherd Boy, Watch the Lamb. These are songs that if you were involved in Christian music in the 80s and 90s, you might remember those. But he made a choice. He's living an alternative lifestyle, one that doesn't match up with what we believe the Word of God to say and what I look at, and it kills me to see that he made those choices. He was somebody that I thought of a little bit as an example because he was telling the stories of Scripture to all those around him. But here we find Samuel. He sees the choices that Saul had made. He knew that he had been rejected. He was crying out. His heart was breaking. This emotional man was addressed by the Lord, and we see that in the very first part of chapter 16. How long will you grieve? It was time to act. The Lord gave Samuel very specific instructions, and Samuel put together what that meant. He was to go and to anoint someone who would be the next king while the standing king was on the throne. In essence, God was asking Samuel to commit what might have been seen as treason. His life was in danger. He was afraid. He trusted God. But here he's asking those, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. However, God didn't leave Samuel out in the cold. He told him to take a heifer and a plan, a sacrifice. And this would help the curious questions of others. And it wasn't false. That's what they were doing. Samuel arrived and invited Jesse and his sons to the sacrifice where God would show Samuel who he was to anoint. God often calls us to look inward for the courage only he can provide and follow in the face of difficulty. We're to trust God for that courage, to trust him for that plan, whatever that plan looks like. You know, he may ask us to leave a job that doesn't honor God. He may ask us to cut ties with a friend because that friendship is leading us in the wrong direction. He may call us to stand up for our beliefs in a hostile environment. He may even lead us to be a missionary on a foreign field where being a Christ follower could be the end of your life. There are times when we may be afraid, but God can provide that courage that we need. You see, the list goes on of things that may scare us in service of the King of Kings. But God is calling us to do those things, to tell our friends about Christ, to tell our family members, to have those hard conversations, to simply invite somebody to church. God wants us to be all about Him and what He wants. You may think, I don't have the qualifications or the outward gifts. Remember, what God is teaching us in this passage God cares about the heart. So grow in your knowledge and love of him. You'll have the tools that you need even when you're afraid. Now, the final character in our story is the one that we would often think of as the main character of, of this story, a shepherd boy named David. So let's look at 1 Samuel 16, 5 through 14, and, and just read that, that section just one more time. Because it says here, and he said peaceably, I have come to sacrifice the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he, Samuel, who we're talking about here, consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And when they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. 
But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. So this son of Jesse was apparently kingly in his look. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward, but the Lord looks on the heart. And then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of the oil and anointed him in the midst of the brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. Now this is a story that we've heard since our childhood. We know that Samuel told Jesse to bring his sons to the sacrifice, and among those sons, God would reveal the next king. You know, we have all of these different songs that get embedded in our memories. For those of us who have grown up and especially in missionary Baptist churches where we've been in Sunday school or we've been in children's church along the way. We sing songs like Father Abraham, and we immediately think of that when we look at Abraham in the Scripture. Maybe you have a song or two that pops in your mind when you think about Noah. And again, as I've shared before, for me, when I read this story, I had the, the tune and the lyrics going through my head of Shepherd Boy by this man that I used to admire so much. See, Samuel thought he was on the right track when he looked at Eliab, the oldest. He looked kingly, and Samuel was sure that this was it. But the Lord spoke to him and said, don't look on the outward. I'm sure that Samuel was perplexed as he counted working his, uh, continued working his way through the sons of Jesse. At the end of seven, there was no king, so Samuel said, is this it? And I'm sure that Jesse was confused because he had just one more, just the youngest son. David was out tending the sheep. So why was David such a shocking choice? Well, let's think about things. As we look at kings, and re most recently we've seen a transition in Great Britain where the queen died and then a new king came into power. What happens there? It's a bloodline. So the expectation that Saul's son would be the next king, that's just how those things worked. They were passed on from family, from person to person. But David wasn't a part of this family, not of the same tribe. He was not the son of Saul. So that's one of those first reasons that he was just a shocking choice. Secondly, he was not the firstborn. The firstborn always had the extra rights in Scripture. We find that they had the birthright, they gained the inheritance, all of those things that are attached to that. But David wasn't the firstborn, or the secondborn, or the thirdborn, and we can go down through the list. He was down there at number eight. 
He wasn't expected to do anything except be out there and handle the sheep. And so the third reason that he's a shocking choice is that he was just a shepherd. He was the little guy. He was the one that was taking care of. He was so unimportant to them that he wasn't invited even to this gathering with Samuel. You know, but God was looking at something different. He was looking at the heart. And we know that David still had beautiful eyes and he was handsome, but he didn't immediately strike anyone as the future king or he would have been a part of that initial group. He was a shocking choice. He was an unexpected choice to be this next king. He didn't look on the outside like immediately, that's our next king. You know, last week, Pastor Kirk reminded us of what anointing signifies. And that's what happens here. I wanted to go back to this because I think this is important. As David is, is brought in and they see that this is the man that he is set apart, he is anointed, we understand these things, that it signified a sovereign choice. This was going to be God's man for the job. This was going to be the future king of Israel. And as Samuel anointed him, he probably had no idea the difficulties that lay ahead, but he knew in that moment that he was going to be God's man for the job. The second sign, uh, anointing signifies divine empowerment. God will give him the strength for the job. When God sets us apart to do his work, when he calls us to that when he, we have been anointed and set apart, and we must trust God for the strength to do that. And then third, anointing signifies re, it results in supernatural results. There are supernatural results. God will supernaturally bless the job that David had to do in the days to come. It is important for us to know how important this moment was. Saul still sat on the throne. Saul was still the king of Israel. But in these moments, the future had been put into motion. David was anointed, but it would be a while till he sat on the throne. God can give us a clear direction, and we still must be patient and work on our hearts as we wait. Remember that God cares more about the heart than outward appearance. He wants us to refine our hearts and to be ready to step out into that for which he is preparing us for. You know, the biggest heart issue that any of us have is that we need to re resolve our sinful heart. That's where it begins. We must hear the call that's going on in our life and answer the Bible is clear that there are none righteous, no, not one. That a sinful heart can only be resolved through an encounter with Jesus and Jesus alone. In Romans 6.23, we're told that the wages of sin are death, but the eternal gift can be found through the great gift of Jesus Christ. It requires that we place our faith in him. Romans 10, 9, 10, and 13 speak to that process of what that looks like as we trust, as we place our faith in Jesus, ultimately it means that we're placing our trust in the saving power of the one and only Son of God. 
Maybe God wants to help you take care of that issue today. That's always our prayer as you come into these walls. If you haven't accepted Jesus as your Savior, and it doesn't matter if you have been a church member for many years, if you don't know Jesus Christ in a personal, real way, that needs to be taken care of. And so we always like to, to invite you to do that in one form or another. If you don't know Jesus, do that before you leave this place. See me, see Jason, see one of our Sunday school teachers or our shepherd leaders. There are plenty of people here that want to tell you about Jesus. So as we wrap up today, let me ask you these questions. If we know our, our truth is this, that God cares more about the heart than outward appearance, then what does that mean that we need to do? Because that's always vital. Well, first we have to ask our question one, is our heart right with God? Is your heart right with God? That begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ. If that answer is no, then that's where you need to start. But if you have begun that relationship, if you started that, that journey, then you need to look at the second question. Are you leaning into the sanctification process? What does that mean? Well, that means that I'm growing in my relationship with Christ. I'm trying to root out the sin that, is, that just gets stuck in there. And I do that with prayer, with God's Word, with the believers that I gather with as they encourage me, as they love on me, as they correct me. It's why the church is so, so important. Ultimately, it's this. this. We need to trust God to mold and to shape our hearts over our career development, our friendships, our social standing, those may feel important, but our heart is the most important thing. So are you focused on that? Are you working on that? That's what God calls us to do. Because when the prophet came along, said, who's the next king? He wasn't looking on the outside. He was looking on the inside. So let's develop our hearts for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this time, a time when we can worship together, when we can celebrate you for who you are. We thank you for the stories of Scripture because we know that the truth that you provide to teach us, to show us what we need to do and, more importantly, who we need to be. So, Father, help us to lean on you and to follow you in these days ahead. Forgive us where we fail you. In Christ we pray. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.